0: You good? Anybody glad to be in church today? You know what? I'm, I'm just always excited to be in the house of the Lord. And the Bible says, you know, David said it, I was glad. Anybody glad today? I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. So we just want to say thank you for being here today. If you're here for the first time, we hope you've already felt right at home and that you've been loved on a little bit. Amen, everybody? Can you do me one more favor, Ken? We just welcome those who are watching us online. We just want to say how glad we are that you're tuning in today. Yeah. Come on, give them a, a good hand. And so one one thing before I, I preach today that Crystal mentioned this week. This Wednesday night service that we're doing, this midweek prayer service, I would really love for you guys to be here. I know it's hard sometimes during the week, but I feel like that I have a teaching that I'm going to help you with. Because I know some of you say, you know, Pastor, it's not so much that I don't want to pray. Sometimes I just don't know what to say. And, I, you know, I go five minutes and I'm already done. Well, I think I can help you a little bit. With that, I'm going to do some teaching this Wednesday night on on a way to pray, a model prayer. So we'd love for you to join us. That's at 7 o'clock. We're going to worship God, and then we're going to hear about prayer. Amen, everybody. So glad to see you today. So we're in the series we just started last week called Raise a Hallelujah. We're talking about the topic of worship. And last week, I gave you a foundation of why we worship. And we talked about, first of all, that your relationship with God is a reflection of how you worship. And we talked about the great commandment that we're gonna worship God with all our heart. How? With all our soul, all our mind, and all our strength. In other words, it's all in, amen? And then we talked about the kind of worship that, that Jesus, that God's looking for, and it's to worship in spirit and in truth. In other words, it's the combination of both the passion, the all inness of our heart toward God, but also it's being formed by, informed by the Word of God, the Scriptures. And we talked about the the character of God, how He's faithful and how He's holy and all those things that we talked about that you can use to really uh, cultivate or even foster an attitude of passionate worship. Amen? And so today, what I'd like to do is I want to continue that, that vein, and I want to ask you a question. How many of you have somebody that, that you consider a role model? Let me see your hand. Everybody has a role model. Somebody that you look up to. What is it about them that makes them a role model for you? There's something you see in them. There's a habit, there's an attitude, there's a belief that... Hey, this person is somebody I can follow, right? Well, what I want to do is in terms of this idea of passionate worship, that's really what we're trying to do is paint a clear picture for you of what passionate worship looks like because remember we said that we're trying to help you develop a strong faith. And so when I look into the Scriptures, I see a man who I believe we can emulate who will help us see what passionate worship look like, looks like. And to be honest with you, he's probably my favorite character in all the Bible. And his name is David. How many of you have ever heard of King David? Let me see your hand. And so most of you in the room, you, you know who he is. He was one of the kings of Israel. He's actually the second king in Israel. And many people believe he's the greatest king ever that they ever had. As a matter of fact, the, his era of reign was known as the golden age of Israel because of how successful and how prosperous the kingdom was under his rule. Now, the beauty of, of studying a guy like this is the fact that he was a passionate worshiper. That's the biggest thing that sticks out to me. But here's the other thing he was a man who was human. Amen. He had his ups and downs. Anybody ever had any ups and downs lately? He was a man who had highs and lows, victories and success, but he also had failure. Can anybody else identify with David already? And so the reason I want to bring him to you is because I believe he's somebody that you're not looking up to like, man, I could never achieve that. No, you see him as a man who was flesh, who made mistakes. But here's the beauty of it. Even in the middle of all of that, David was able to be a passionate worshiper. And here's the cool thing. Jesus even, God even said it, and then uh, the the New Testament even declares it, that he was a man after God's own heart. How many of you would like to be known as a person after God's own heart? And so I believe that the Bible has given us David as a beautiful picture of what it looks like to be a passionate worshiper. And so I want you to take a journey with me. You you guys want to take a journey with me today looking into the life of David? How many would love to be a passionate worshiper? Let me see your hand. And so let's look at this. And so i got a couple of questions for you as we're going through this today. First of all, what insights can you draw from David's life about being a passionate worshiper. Now, I want you to think about that question as we're going through this series today, okay? And then secondly, how did David become such a passionate worshiper? Well, I'm going to read to you a prayer that David prayed out of the Psalms. And I believe this is going to give us some understanding, some clarity about how he came to know God in such a passionate way and was able to worship him that way. So we're going to unpack this, folks, out of the scriptures, seeing the life of David. So go with me to Psalm 86. This will be our first passage that we look into, starting at verse 11. And I want you to just read this along with me. Teach me your way, Lord, that I may rely on your faithfulness. And I want you to see this part. It says, give me an, say it loud, undivided heart, that I may fear your name. Verse 12. I will praise you, Lord God, with all my heart. Notice it's not anything left back. Remember, this is the kind of worship Jesus is looking for, right? I will praise you with all my heart and I will glorify your name forever. So you see the prayer. What's the prayer? Teach me your ways. In other words, I'm leaning into what you want to tell me, Lord. I want to, be that follower of Jesus. But then the, really the point that, that really focused my attention was that idea of give me an undivided heart. And I believe his intentionality, his laser-focused intentionality with his relationship with God was the key to him being a passionate worshiper. Do you agree, folks? He prayed a prayer that nothing or no one else would have his heart but God. He prayed that he would fear God's name. Now, some of you, when you see that word, you automatically go to fear, like you're afraid of something. Really, the idea is not so much being afraid of God, it's more of being in awe and wonder of God. When the Bible talks about the fear of the Lord, it's really about, man, you're awesome and majestic. You're you're wonderful, God, and so there's an awe, right? And so, I believe that's what he had in mind here when he said, give me an undivided heart. And I began to look up the definition of undivided. It's not directed or given to more than one object. In other words, there's a laser focus. There's one thing that I'm focused on, an undivided attention or, I love this part, affection. Right? Affection toward or a desire for. And so when David was saying, give me an undivided heart, he was saying, my affection is going to go to no one else but you. You're the number one thing in my life. And so God was the object of, the, of his affection. And so what happened is he began to produce this relationship with God that produced passionate worship for God, to God. And so here's another question for you. What can you do? to cultivate the same kind of passionate worship that David did or David experienced? That's a good question to ask. And here's how we'll see it. We'll look at it as some characteristics that we see in David that can help us emulate or him be a role model for us. And so these are the characteristics that I believe tell us how he was a passionate worshiper. So if you're taking notes, number one, David was an exuberant worshiper. What does the word exuberant mean? Well, I looked up the definition for that. It means unrestrained and enthusiastic. Can I read it one more time? When he was exuberant, he was unrestrained and enthusiastic. In other words, there was nothing going to hold him back from worshiping his God. Why? Because he was so in love with his God. And so, second Samuel, let me set this up for you. You're familiar with the Old Testament. David is king. And here's the thing. They, never, they didn't always do things right. God had given them specific instructions on how, how to handle the Ark of the Covenant. Everybody familiar with what the Ark of the Covenant is? Anybody ever seen Raiders of the Lost Ark? You guys remember that? It's a pretty good, it's a good depiction of what the Ark actually looked like. But the Ark was that place where God would meet with Moses and the priests in the Holy of Holies. And it represented God's presence. Well, the the ark had been taken from them because of their disobedience and they're getting it back. God's restoring the ark to them. And so David is so excited that the presence of God is returning to Israel that he begins to do this celebration as they're marching and bringing it back to Jerusalem. And Here's what happens. He begins to, well, let's read it. 2 Samuel chapter 6, what does it say? Wearing a linen ephod, David was, what was he doing? Dancing before the Lord with a little bit of, just a little bit. It's like, okay, God. Mm-hmm. He was just doing a little shimmy in it. No, he was like, yeah, you know, he's all in. With all his heart, he's dancing before the Lord. Amen. While they were, verse 15, while they were, while he and Israel were bringing up the ark of the Lord with shouts, everybody say shouts. shouts. That's not a shout. Everybody say shouts. shouts. There you go. And sound of trumpets. In other words, they were worshiping. You see it? There was music and there was worship. Now, the problem was David's wife was looking at him from afar, and she saw this dignified king letting his hair down a little bit, right? Worshiping Jesus with all his heart, and she says to him, and I'm just paraphrasing now, you made a fool of yourself. In front of all these people, this dignified king, you made a fool of yourself. And you know what he said? He said, sweetheart, I love you so much. Again, it's paraphrasing. You're, 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 you're really important to me, and I love you, but you had not seen nothing yet. I will be even more undignified than this. And so this idea of a passionate worshiper is when I'm passionately worshiping, people know it. Come on, somebody. And I get this. So this is some, some of you guys are squirming. I can see it. You're squirming because, is Pastor going to ask me to dance up here in front of everybody? I'm not gonna ask you to do anything. I'm not gonna ask you to do anything. What I'm gonna do, what I am gonna say is, I want you to think about the goodness of God. I want you to think about where God's brought you. I want you to think about the fact that He went to the cross and He bled and He died for you. And just maybe we can give Him some exuberant worship. Come on, somebody. We can give Him a, a praise with all our hearts. And that's exactly what David modeled for us. Now, I love it because I believe he was much more concerned about enjoying the joy of the presence of God than he was what people thought about him. Amen? He wasn't concerned about those folks who would might criticize or even his wife. As much as he loved his wife, he, wasn't, he, he loved God more, amen? Remember, his heart was after God. Now, here's the thing, folks. Football season is right around the corner. Anybody, any football fans in here? Okay, so here, here's the thing. If I was to go home with you, or go to the game with you, and watch you, when that pigskin crosses that white line, go dogs! Great job. Mm, that's good. No, what would it be? Yeah! With your faces painted red and black. Okay, come somebody, or whatever other color you want, uglier colors, but red and black maybe. Okay, so, you're, so your pastor's guilty. Does anybody remember this uh, January, I, I, I think it was 2018, when Georgia played Oklahoma in the Rose Bowl? Any dog fans remember that day? Any Oklahoma fans remember that day? <laughs> Any Baker Mayfield fans remember that day? Probably one of the best football games I've ever seen, Ron. I mean, awesome. Back and forth. You know, Georgia was down by almost like two touchdowns, 17 points in the second quarter. They come back, and it's back and forth, and they go to overtime. Georgia wins the game. Sony Michelle, like 30-something yards for a touchdown. You know what your pastor did? Y'all want to know what I did? I ran outside and ran down the street hollering because it had been 40 years since Georgia had won a national championship and we were almost there. Come on, somebody. Folks, listen, I didn't care. Who, I didn't care. The point I'm making is I didn't care. I didn't care how undignified I looked because I love my team. Folks, I love my God more. And if I love my God more than football, if I can celebrate when a pigskin goes across a line, I can lift my hands, I can lift my voice and a shout to the God who redeemed me, amen. That's exuberant worship. People know it. Remember, it's enthusiastic, it's not an unenthusiastic, it's enthusiastic and unrestrained worship. Folks, again, I'm not asking you guys to come look like weirdos if you don't want to, but I am saying get out of your comfort zone. If you're not used to lifting your hands in worship, maybe, okay, that's my first step. Oh, wow, I've lifted my hands. And, and there's a guy in our church, I won't, I'm not going to name him. I know he's here somewhere. He told me a few, few months ago, he said, Pastor, when I first came here, I didn't lift my hands. I, see, I think I see him. I see him. He's in here. But I'm not, I'm not going to give him away. He said, Pastor, now here I am. I'm doing this. Folks, when you love somebody, you don't mind letting people know it. Are you with me, Folks. And next week, you need to come back because I'm going to talk about, we're going to dive into these biblical forms, what the Bible says, worship that God loves is all about. We're going to dive into the book of Psalms and see that. But I just want you to know today that passionate worshipers, people recognize it. Amen. And David was a passionate worshiper. He was exuberant in his worship. Can I get an amen, everybody? Here's the second point. If you want to be a passionate worshiper, you can look at the life of David and see that he had a heart of repentance. Remember, we said David wasn't a perfect person. As a matter of fact, David did some pretty heinous things. He modeled for you, though, me and you, the importance of repentance in worship. Now, when I say repentance, some of you get a little nervous but really and truly, it's a beautiful word, because all it means is I've changed my mind. I'm looking, I've turned away from this, and I'm looking here. I've made an about face, and I'm looking unto God, and, and I'm, my heart's toward Him, my face is toward Him, my posture's toward Him, even though I've messed up. Has anybody messed up lately? If you hadn't raised your hands, you know, we need to have a conversation about not telling the truth. But the beauty of this is, although David was a sinful man, as a matter of fact, he committed murder and adultery. Listen, we're talking about a man after God's own heart here, folks. But he was still a person who had been impacted by the fall. He had been impacted by Adam and Eve's sin, and he was feeling, he continuously felt that draw, and you feel it too, that want that wanting to go and let the flesh lead. And here's what he did. He said, No, I'm gonna keep my heart before God. I'm gonna keep my heart in a posture toward him, looking to him. I'm gonna change the way I think. And so his his adultery with Bathsheba, so if you know that, if you don't know that story, you know, the, the interesting thing about this is that David was a warrior. He was, a, he was a, a warrior and a king. And normally, he would be out on the battlefield, right? And the Israelites were in a battle. And guess what he decided to do? He decided to hang back and, whoo, let me just lounge around a little bit on his deck out there. You can picture him on his castle deck. And he looks across and sees a woman bathing. Now, I don't understand why that would happen. But, hey... That's what the enemy does. He tempts, right? And he sees her, and he begins to desire her sexually. And with his power, he says, I want her. Go get her. And listen, even his servants are like, David, are you sure this is a good idea? This woman's married. You can have anybody you want, right? You have a wife, why would you want that? And so, no, no, he's, I mean, he's, blinded by, he's blinded by lust, folks. He goes and gets her. They have an affair. And then, to, to cover it up, her husband is a brave warrior in his, on his, in his army. He calls for him to, off the battlefield because what he wants to do is he wants his, her husband to sleep with her so that, because they found out she's pregnant, so that they would think it was the husband's baby. But you know what? His integrity said, no, I'm not doing that. All my buddies are out fighting a war. I'm not coming in here just lounging around. And so he sleeps outside, and then he tries to get him drunk, and he still won't sleep with his wife. And so finally he says, here's some orders. I want you to send him at the front lines of the battle to get killed. So in other words, he committed murder. So David, an adulterer and a murderer, trying to cover it up, gets confronted by a prophet named Nathan. And Nathan comes to him and says, hey, gives him this story, and you can go read it for yourself. But at the end of that, when he says, David, you've sinned. You have committed adultery, and you've committed murder. And David, as the king, you know what he could have done? Could have thrown him out, I don't want to talk to you. I'm the king. I can do what I want to. That's not what his response was. We have a beautiful prayer that he prayed in Psalm 51. That's a model prayer for us of repentance. And I want to read to you part of it, not the whole thing, but Psalm 51, verse 10. Here's what he says. Creating me a pure heart, or one translation says clean heart, right? Oh God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. What does he say? Restore to me the what? Say it loud. The joy of my salvation or your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. His heart was a heart of repentance. Folks, it becomes a model prayer for you and I. It's a model for us that when we we find ourselves in that same situation, when we've given in one too many times to temptation, we can say, you know what? Created me a clean heart. And keep our heart right before God. I believe the most healthy part of this can be you pray it daily. Every time you wake up and you spend time with God, ask him, first of all, to search your heart To show you, is there a wrong attitude? Is there lust? Is there pride? Is there jealousy? Is there envy? That's, you know, folks, that's something that I do every morning. I ask the Holy Spirit to search me. And then if he shows you, what do you do? Creating me a clean heart. Renew right spirit within me. Folks, if you'll do that, you can keep the right posture before God. You can be a passionate worshiper. And I believe that he modeled that for us, folks, that even though he messed up, repentance can restore the intimacy that's lost. Because that's, ha- that's what happens. When you sin, it breaks your intimacy with God. It breaks the fellowship that you have with God. And re- repentance restores the relationship. Repentance restores that passionate worship. And I'll say this, the longer you go without repentance, the more distant God will feel. And that's, some of you will will say that, Pastor, I felt, I felt God's a million miles away. Have you asked the Holy Spirit to check your heart? It could be you're one repentant prayer away from feeling his intimacy again. Amen. This is, this is the beauty of repentance, it keeps us in that posture. It keeps my heart in the right place before God. It helps me. Remember what we said last week. Anything, anything that steals your affection from God, what did we say it was? It's an idol. So repentance keeps you from forming idols and creating idols. It's a practice that you can do personally, and it really is a practice we can do corporately. Amen? Corporate repentance, like last week, right before we did communion, I ask you to search your heart and let god to, to, to do something in your heart. why because it 's good to have a, a habit of repentance. Can I get an amen, everybody? I love this because when you when you feel that, when you experience that forgiveness it 's beautiful psalm sixty five gives us this picture of how grateful David was that God had forgiven him and he was in a and a right standing for God. Watch what it says, Psalm 65. What mighty praise, O God, belongs to you in Zion. We will fulfill our vows to you. Watch this. For you answer our prayers. All of us must come to you. In other words, listen, there's an invitation. Amen. How many of you know there's an invitation to intimacy with God? There's an invitation to relationship with God. And if you'll just take those steps toward him in repentance, he will meet you right where you are. And I love verse three. Though we are overwhelmed. Anybody ever felt overwhelmed by your sin? I have. I felt the weight of it, the guilt of it. And he says, though we are overwhelmed by our sins, what's the reality, folks? Come on, somebody, help me out. You forgive them all. Are you glad today? And I love this. What joy. For those you choose to bring near, those who live in your holy courts, what festivities await us inside your holy temple. In other words, folks, there's nothing like knowing your sins are forgiven. There's nothing like knowing, as Hebrews 4 says, I can come boldly to the throne room of grace and find help and strength in my time. There's nothing that feels any better. And he, he, looked, he, he noticed it here. What joy. Everybody say Joy. How many know there's joy in the presence of God? In his presence, there's fullness of joy. Everybody say it one more time. Joy. Now, it doesn't happen unless your heart is in right standing with God. Unless there's repentance that draws you to him, to intimacy and closeness with him. And so... When you keep your heart pure before God on a daily basis, praying a prayer of repentance, guess what? You can enjoy an intimacy with God, a relationship with God you can't even imagine. How many of you want that? I want that. I want to live that way with my God. Amen? So, folks, this model prayer that you have is right there before you. You can enjoy the presence of God, you can passionately worship him knowing your sins have been covered. Now, the beauty of this, folks, is on the other side of the cross, it means even more, doesn't it? You see, before, they were having to go through a priest. Somebody had to go to God's presence for them. And that was only once a year. But now, you have the privilege and the honor of access into God's presence 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Why? Because Jesus came, lived a sinless life, died a cruel death on the cross, and walked out of the tomb. Can we celebrate that this morning? Are you glad you have access to God today? Through the blood of Christ. Ephesians 2 says, by Christ's blood, we have been brought near to God. Amen? Does that help anybody this morning? So here's the last one before we close. David worshiped God passionately by walking in his purpose. And you may ask the question, Pastor, what does walking in your purpose have to do with that worship? And I would say everything. Because worship's not just coming in here and singing some songs, two or three songs, and listening to a message and praying and going home. If that's all that is worship for you, then you've missed a bigger picture. You're missing out on something even better. Amen? No, worship's a lifestyle. And so the psalmist understood this when he understood that that even what we prayed for Stella earlier, what we acknowledged about Stella this morning and dedicating her, that in Psalm 139, we have been created on purpose, for purpose. Amen? Psalm 139 says this, You have made all the delicate... Inner parts of my body, and you knit me together in my mother's womb. Verse 14. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. I love this. Your workmanship is marvelous. We said that last week, right? Folks, listen God doesn't make junk, you're His. You're valuable to him. He created you in his image. And David acknowledged that and understood that it really was some fuel for him to worship God. When he acknowledged that he was created on purpose, for purpose. Verse 15. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion. And I was woven together in the the dark of the womb. Verse 16. You saw me. Before I was born, every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. God has plans for you. Amen. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you, to give you hope and a future. Do You believe that today. So David acknowledged this in his own life, and he lived a life of purpose. As a matter of fact, he knew it. He knew his purpose was, I'm I'm a passionate worshiper, I'm a a follower of God, and here's what he did. In the seasons of his life, he recognized those seasons as a moment to cultivate worship, to cultivate his gift, and walk in his purpose. Even though, you need to hear this, even though he was doing it in obscurity. Here's a little shepherd boy, a teenage boy, nobody knew who he was and he's out tending sheep, right? In that moment, you know what he's doing? While he's learning to to tend sheep, he's also learning to be a, a musician. He hones his craft of playing the harp. He hones his craft of songwriting. Aren't you glad he honed his craft of songwriting? All the psalms that he wrote were really something that we could sing before the Lord, amen? They're songs that God has given us as beautiful pictures of who he is. But not only was he learning to be a musician and a worshiper, he was learning to be a warrior. So the Bible says that he fought the the lion and the bear. And I can picture a tree and him just over and over again throwing that rock. pow! And that tree is just bruised with all the moments that he was practicing his sling. How many of you know that came in handy a little bit later in his life? When he's facing this giant called Goliath, when, when all, listen to me, when all of Israel's welfare was at stake, God used a little shepherd boy to kill a giant. Come on, somebody. But he didn't learn how to do it right there. It wasn't just a supernatural, oh, let me just give you the ability to hit a, a, a Goliath with a rock. No, he honed that skill in obscurity. You know why? Psalm 139. He knew what God had created him to do. It was already in his heart to be a worshiper, to be a king, to be a warrior. And it played out in this. Saul was the first king of Israel, and he messed up royally. The difference between Saul and David was a heart thing. Saul messed up, but his heart was not after God. And God said, I'm rejecting you as king, and I'm gonna raise up David. But there was this moment where Saul was tormented. The Bible says he was tormented in his mind, in his spirit. And they wanted somebody to come play for him, to soothe him. How many know music can be soothing? It can be therapeutic. Amen? And so they choose a guy named David. And guess what? Here's what they recognized. 1 Samuel 16, verse 18. They'll read that with me. Let's read this together. One of the servants said to Saul, one of Jesse's sons from Bethlehem is a what? Talented harp player. Where did he, he learn that? In obscurity. Not only that, he is a brave, a man of war and has good judgment. In other words, he had wisdom. And here's the most important part, folks. He was a fine looking man and the Lord is, everybody say it with me. Folks, if you don't have the Holy Spirit, if you don't have the Lord on your side, you're in trouble. You're in serious trouble. But when you understand, folks, that God has given you opportunity after opportunity to hone and and develop this worship that you have before him in relationship, but you also understand it's connected to why you're here on planet Earth. Amen. It's that God has a purpose for you. And it was evident, right? As a matter of fact, the book of Acts, the New Testament writers understood this about David. Look with me to verse 22. Acts 13, verse 22. After removing Saul, he made David their king. God testified concerning him. Watch this. I have found David, son of Jesse, a man. After my own heart, he will do everything I want him to do. How many would say, Pastor, I almost say that to God, God, would you use me to do whatever you want? How many would lay your life before God in that way? Folks, if you do that, as as, uh, Paul said in Romans, I will present myself as a living sacrifice, which is a spiritual act of worship. When you give God yourself, that's worship. Amen. So David committed his entire life to God. In his purpose, in being king of Israel, and being the warrior and being the worshipper that he was. Verse thirty-six says this. Same chapter. Now when David had served God's purpose, look at that. Did he say when David served David's purpose? What did it say? Whose purpose? God's purpose in his own generation, he fell asleep and was buried with his ancestors and his body decayed. In other words, the book, the writer of Acts looked and saw how God had used David to impact his generation. Aren't you glad for that? But how many of you know, you and I are reading his story today, and guess what? Not only has he impacted his own generation, he's, at, he's impacted every generation since. And you and I have a picture of what it means to walk in our purpose and live a life like David of passionate worship. Does is that, is that just make anybody else's heart leap today? It does mine. I want to serve God that way. Amen. Despite my failures, I want to walk in purpose because I want to be a passionate worshiper. Folks, our goal is to help you do that. We have Growth Track. You hear us talk about it all the time. That's our way of helping you to discover purpose. Because you have giftings. We talked about that a few weeks ago. God is giving you gifts. There's something that you're good at that God has placed inside of you so that you can, like David, make an impact in your generation. How many of you would love to make an impact in your generation? Discover your gifts. Walk in them. And so our growth track helps you make that discovery. Amen. See, when you do that, it honors and glorifies God when you acknowledge the gift, when you acknowledge the call on your life, that's worship. And I believe if you'll lay hold of this, folks, I believe it with all my heart, your life will change drastically. You won't go through life saying, Man, you know, what's, what's life all about? I don't get it. No, you, you'll, you'll know. And the beautiful thing is, When you are in that casket at the end of your days, I believe if you'll lay hold of this, that the people who walk around and view your body will say, "You made an impact in his generation. His life meant something. This person was a passionate worshiper. Loved God with all their heart, all their soul, all their mind, all their strength. And and, and those people would say, I'm not the same person I was because of them. I don't know about you. That's what I want people to say about me at the end of my days. Anybody else? Can anybody else say, yes, that's me. I want that. It's possible because remember what David, he was a failure sometimes. He was a man that committed adultery and murder. And yet God said, I will remember him as a person who had influence and made a difference. So he's a person we can emulate, amen? I believe he's a model for us of passionate worship. So what's your response this morning? Pray that prayer that David has prayed. What did he say? Lord, give me. An undivided heart. Let nothing else have my affection but you and you alone. It's okay to have other relationships. I'm not saying that because he said love other people too. But God needs to have your heart. Amen. Because if he has your heart, all of your other relationships go to a new level. Amen. So pray that prayer. God, give me an undivided heart. You're my focus. Number two, go beyond your comfort zone. Worship God unrestrained. Amen? Worship God with exuberance. If, it's, if you used to do this, do this. If you used to go this, do this. Do something to show God that you're passionately in love with Him. Amen? And listen, if you'll think about what He's done, it won't be hard. Number three, live a life of daily repentance. Why is that so important? So you can keep your passionate worship red hot. Amen. Number four, passionately worship God by discovering your purpose. Use your gifts to impact the body of Christ. Thank you for joining us for this week's service. We pray that God has used this moment to greatly impact your life. We invite you to live fully alive in Christ with us here at Full Life Church. We'll see you next week.